Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I gotta know, are you there? Are you listening? I sure hope so, because this is a very important month. Because, well, I'm just, I'm just gonna come right out and say it. Guns of the Apocalypse, my post-apocalyptic spaghetti Midwestern, is done. Uh, I just need to add some end credits. I just finished the poster, posted that on, on the Facebook page. I'm excited. I've watched it now, all the way through, a handful of times. And I'll be honest, I am not disappointed. There, there are always a few things that I wish I could change, but it was more like, oh, I wish I would have gotten this from a better angle or whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, I am not unhappy with it. Whether or not it's good will be up to you to determine, but... I think it's a fantastic addition to the Mimiverse catalog, and I'm very proud of the final product. I think you can probably hear it in my voice, even. I think it turned out great. It's definitely something different compared to anything else I've done in in much the same way that Where Skeeto was something different, yet still felt like one of my movies. The main cast all give amazing performances. Tyler Haynes, who you all know as Agar from Demon with the Atomic Brain, Kira Pontiff. You've seen her before, the youngest paddle girl in The Giant Spider. She showed up as the chained-up girl in the basement in Where Skeeto. She can scream. You know that, because you've, you've seen Where Skeeto. This is the first time she really gets to shine, and she's spectacular. She does a great job. I even told her at one point that I just I'd never given her enough space to really show what it is that she has and it blew me away and i look forward to working with kira in the future same with tyler tyler was great he showed comedic chops in demon and in this one he shows some really fantastic action and dramatic chops good stuff and then lastly i have to be the proud papa here alice mim who you all know as evelyn from danny johnson saves the world she very much stole the show in that movie. She is in this movie. She's one of the main characters. She does not speak much, and that's by design. You'll understand why when you see it. But she does a great job, aside from her being my child. You know, it, it, it makes me more forgiving in some ways, but also less. Because it's really easy to get that dance mom mindset, where it's like, come on, you can do better than that. But I didn't really have to do that a lot. She does a lot without having to speak. And I think to convey as much information as she does with not really talking. I think she's a great actress, and I think she's only going to get better. So I plan on putting her in more movies in the future, and I think at some point she's going to end up in a very, very juicy role and surprise everybody with her her natural talent. So it's a good movie. I'm, I'm proud of it. I, I, I cannot wait for people to see it, which is always a good sign that I'm not dreading the idea of people seeing it. I don't often, but sometimes I, I have this panic moment after I finish a movie where I'm like, well, it is what it is, and get a little crazy and depressed about it and worry that people may not like it. And this one, I'm not worried. I think there are going to be people that don't like it, and that's okay. Some people like some of my movies and don't like some of the others. Some people like them all. Some people hate them all. I don't care anymore, honestly. Uh, This is movie number 13. If you like it, it'll make me happy to know that I entertained you. If you don't, okay, 
well, maybe you'll like Queen of Snakes when that comes out next year. Uh, of which I'm I'm only one day away from from finishing principal photography of that. If everything works out, I still have a lot to do with Guns of the Apocalypse to get it ready for the premiere, uh, get the DVD together, the posters done. Like I said, I still need to cut a trailer. There's a lot of work still left to be done for that September 26th premiere. But as soon as I feel like I can relax a little, I'll start in on Queen of Snakes, which that monster design is something else. I honestly think it's Mitch Gonzalez's best work to date. But I'm not going to be talking much about Queen of Snakes. Uh, in fact, I'm not going to be talking much at all this month. Sadly, I again do not have a Beef McCormick chapter to share, but only because I was very much focused on getting the movie done. I didn't have the time and I had accepted maybe a week or two ago that I wasn't going to get to it, and I'm okay with that. As soon as things calm down a little bit, and I get over this scramble to the premiere, I'm just I'm putting the Beef McCormick for your ice only on the back burner for a little bit. Don't worry, I will come back to it, I promise. So, Guns of the Apocalypse is done. The world premiere will be on September 26th at the Heights Theater. No surprise there. The Heights recently remodeled. So what used to be 400 seats is now like 240, I think it is. So we anticipate that this one will sell out quickly, which is why I'm going to let you know right now, advanced tickets to the world premiere are now on sale. If you are interested in going to the world premiere of Guns of the Apocalypse on September 26th at the Heights Theater in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, I'm just going to keep telling you that so you know exactly when it is and where. If you want to go, get some tickets by going to gunsoftheapocalypse.com, where you can still, until August 15th, contribute to the movie and see your name up there on the big screen, and you can pre-order tickets there, or if you just go to sainteuphoria.com and go under events, which is under the merchandise tab, you can order advanced tickets there. Or if you go to the August 2018 Mimiverse Monthly online newsletter, you can order them there. And the reason I'm telling you to buy tickets now, and I'm really stressing this, not only because I always tell people that the premieres are unique film experiences, unlike anything else you'll go to, because they really are. If you're a big enough fan of my films that you listen to this podcast, chances are pretty good that you should attend at least one world premiere of one of my films just once. This is number 13 in 13 years. I have always made a point to make sure that my premieres are an experience. They're not just going to a movie. I purposely picked the Heights Theater because it is the longest continuously running theater in the entire state of Minnesota. And it still has that awesome art deco feel to it. The guy who owns it and runs it keeps it looking like it used to back in the day. I mean, this theater literally goes back to the silent film days. So the atmosphere of this place is just amazing. And if you're like me and you're kind of a nerd for cool, unique movie theaters, this is one you should visit. It's probably the prettiest one in the entire state of Minnesota. Not to mention, it just it has that great history. But on top of that, if you like the movies and if you've never been to one and maybe you've never even been to a screening or, or whatever, a lot of the, the actors and crew people that I talk about all the time that you've seen in these movies are just like walking around and you can talk to them and, and they're all really friendly people. We, we do silent auctions of stuff that you can really only get at the premiere props from the movies, gift baskets with, with special stuff. I mean, it's an experience. We do classic newsreels and trailers, and we show the movie, and we all get dressed up, and 
it's not on the level of Blobfest. If you ever get a chance to go to Blobfest in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, you better go. If you like classic film and you like a movie like The Blob, go to that at least once in your life because there is nothing that compares to it. I'm going to just say that we're second. For the purposes of trying to sell this to you and to get you to come out to one of these cool events, there aren't a lot of events out there like this that happens every year. We encourage people to come out and and just celebrate this with us and have a good time. And I'd love to hang out with you and meet you and, and get to know you a little bit. Probably try to sell you something. But if you've listened to this podcast more than once, you know that's usually what I'm trying to do. But I appreciate you either way. And so, yes, get advanced tickets. Now that the Heights Theater has fewer seats, I really do think we're going to sell this out really quickly. We never had a problem in the past getting to 240 seats. That was usually pretty quick. We're at over 100 seats with just the cast crew and and pre-orders through the contributor program that I anticipate within about a month we may be reaching capacity. So if you're going to go, go. It's worth it. I promise. And you'll have a really good time. Plus, we always do stuff the night before. Uh, and this year, I might, I think I want to do up another uh, night before the thing where we, we have a little celebration for the out-of-towners and, and for anyone who wants to just come hang out and celebrate what it is we do. I just, I can't make it clear enough. If you've never been to one, ask anybody who has. They're really fun and really unique and a really good time. The Heights Theater is in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, which is on the outskirts of Minneapolis. Anyway, I wasn't planning on talking this much this month because I have something special that I want to play for you guys. And also, I need to get back to work. I need to get this movie done so we can, uh, we can all enjoy it on September 26th at the Heights in Columbia Heights, Minnesota. While I was at Blobfest, we showed Demon with the Atomic Brain, and we had a great time at that event. It was, it's an amazing event, seriously. It's, it's, the, it's the coolest. I was able to sit down with Mr. Lobo. He's a, he's a really nice guy. He's a horror host who has a, a show called Cinema Insomnia, which you should definitely seek out. And he sat down and we did a, he interviewed me and talked a little bit about filmmaking. And we got a little deep into some technical stuff and some esoteric stuff. Uh, we talked about dealing with the atomic brain. And he was nice enough to give me the audio from that interview to include in this this episode. So very shortly here, I'm going to play that for you. And then we'll have a, a joke from Dr. Bob Tesla of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob, the official horror host of the Mimiverse. Before we go, one more thing. Go to gunsoftheapocalypse.com and contribute if you haven't. You're running out of time. After the 15th, I'm shutting it down. And that'll be your last chance to get your name or your family's name or your business name or whatever up on the big screen with this really cool movie. Imagine how you'll feel on August 16th, realizing, crap, I forgot to do it, and I meant to, and I really wanted to see my name up there on the big screen, and now i got to wait until 2019 by contributing to Queen of Snakes, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you're going to do that. But if you want to be associated with Guns of the Apocalypse, gunsoftheapocalypse.com and contribute. All right. Before I send it over to Mr. Lobo, I have a little something from Monster Kid Radio. It's, it's a commercial, but I'd like to support Monster Kid Radio because it is an amazing podcast that you should be listening to. So I'm going to play right now a little commercial. It's not long, but it's entertaining, and I'll tell you all about what Monster Kid Radio is and why you should be listening. If you like my movies and you're not listening to Monster Kid Radio, I don't know why. Why would you not? 
you should. So make sure you find Monster Kid Radio, monsterkidradio.net. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This is Mr. Lobo, and I'm here at the beautiful and historic Colonial Theater. My beautiful and historic guest, <laughs> Christopher R. Mim, director of how many films now? Uh, twelve completed films. Wow, twelve, because I knew it was more than ten now. Yes, it's twelve features with two more on the way. Wow, and it's you do a film every year? Every single year. Since? Since 2006. Since 2006. What was in the water in 2006? It seemed like it, it seemed like there was the, that was like the retro gold rush. I, I Everyone don't, was I don't trying know. to get I just, there. I, I was inspired, and in, it was 2005. I was inspired to write the script for the Monster Phantom Lake, my first movie. Yes. Uh, and it just kind of snowballed. We just started doing it, and it was the the thing I would say is like I wrote the script, and then suddenly six months later we had a movie. And that's amazing to me because, you know, I've been involved in many... Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to be the next Ed Wood or I'm going to be the next Roger Corman. And, right. You know, they don't, these movies aren't very hard to make and they're cheap and, you know, we're just going to film something in our backyard and, and make, turn it black and white. And right, and that's movie. enough. Right. And a lot yeah. of people try and do this. A lot of people think they can do this. Right. And a lot of people fail really hard at doing this. It's a lot harder than you it's think. It's a lot harder than you think, and you know, people that I've made films with, and I've never been in one of your films. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. But but there, I have actually filmed in, in, in other productions where it's like, oh, Mr. Lobo, you can be in my retro style movie, and we're going to do this thing, and then they, I'm still waiting for the, that film to come out. You know what I mean? Whereas you've done 12. Right. So... Um, you know, I guess the question is, uh, what do you think is the magic sauce to where you actually, you know, what you weren't, you're not just talking about it, and you're not just, 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 you know, you're doing it. Honestly, uh, when we did the first one, the Monster Phantom yeah. Lake, uh, it really did kind of just take on a life of its own, uh, where I started writing this script, and then suddenly I finished it, and then we found people, and suddenly we're shooting it. And it was just. It was so much fun. Perfect storm. Yeah, it was a perfect storm. It was really, really fun. It was something I wanted to do for a really long time. And so finally getting to that point, I think, really drove me and motivated me to keep doing it. Uh, and then when we released it, it got such a good response. That helped fuel me to want to, I want to make another one. Yeah. Uh, and it just kind of took over. And I think, honestly, the one thing that keeps me going is just that I absolutely love doing this. 
Uh, and and it's, you have to. You have it's it's a it's it's a drive. I mean, it's I, I love making movies and I love making these retro style films uh, because I love these retro style films. And and so with each one, I, I try to challenge myself to do something different each time and to expand the the. I, I mean. The Mimiverse. The Mimiverse expands, mm-hmm. and I never want to make necessarily the same movie twice, so that's why, like I, I mentioned, I'm making two more. One of them is kind of a Western almost, yeah. uh, but it's also kind of a post-apocalyptic movie. So I think just the drive to do it is, is, is my motivation is that I just I love it so much, I really don't want to do anything else. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to me the more I do it, uh, the easier it becomes to have an excuse as to why I should continue to do it right. uh, because the more movies I have the more people I can bring in the more I can sort of make it into a living sure. uh, and and the motivation one of my big motivations is just not wanting to go back to like a corporate job right? and sure. so the more I do it uh, the, the greater my chances so yeah. it's just, you just have to work at it people ask me they want to make a movie yeah. how do you do it how do you do it and it's like you just got to really find the reason to do it because uh, you can find eight billion reasons why not to do a thing. Yeah. Find the one that works for you and just do it. Right. You know, right. with any creative pursuit. Honestly, just put yourself into it. And do it. it. It really takes a lot of commitment and, and, and a lot of hard work. Yes. And, and 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 your heart and soul really has to be in it. And I think it, it, that heart and soul is definitely evident in, in, in your films. And and each one I feel is a is a little bit better than the last. I mean, and we try, like we really do. Evolution yeah. of, of these films. Well, and I I try to be somewhat critical of my work, not to the point that it's like destroys my ability to continue to work, because right. yeah. uh, it's pretty easy to pick apart your own work and sure. be like, I am terrible. I should not be doing this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at least try to learn something from each each production. Yeah. Uh, you know, what did I do right here? What did I do wrong? How do I do that better? How do I do this better? Yeah. And and try to learn something with each one. But that's another reason why each one of my films is a little different, yeah. is that we add sort of a new challenge each time of, like say, maybe we'll work in color at some point and be like, okay, well, what's what's that like, right? right? Because we've right. only really done black and white up to this point. Um, or doing something grander in scale. You know, what's right. that by comparison to a, a movie that takes place in a single room or something? Right, and, well, and we've talked about this before the cameras were rolling. It's like, you know, you, you're you choosing to make a film in black and white as an aesthetic right. choice. At the point where you do decide to make a color film, that will also be an aesthetic right. choice. Right. And you will approach it with that creativity of it being an aesthetic choice versus just, oh, well, that's how these, you know, you shoot the camera, right. uh, turn the camera on, and that's just the colors it right. comes in. And I really like black and white. Um, just the, the, the look and feel of, of a, a quality black and white that production. That abstraction somehow, uh, I always say it's like, a, a, like an abstract painting. It, part of the painting is what the audience brings to it, right? right? You look at it and you put your reality into it. Now we're reading a book, you read, the, it tells you the story, but then you put your reality into it. Quite literally in black and white. And I, <laughs> quite literally <laughs> black and white. And I think a black and white film, that abstraction, there is a, a kind of a deeper connection because when you're watching it, and if you tune into it, you are you are participating. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and I think that uh, I, I think that I think that's why a lot of these old movies really have almost like a psychic link. Same way of like reading a book or or, or looking at an abstract painting. You know, you you the, the audience the audience brings something to bring it to life. Well, and I do think that um, by removing sort of by not having that color information yeah. there, uh, 
it allows you to almost tune into it a little deeper. Yeah. You know, uh, there's less distraction almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where that you take out some of that information and then you end up putting yourself sort of, you fill that hole with yourself. Yes. So we're getting real deep here. Uh, <laughs> which, but which you know, well, weird. with Cinema Insomnia, I mean, you've seen my show. It's yeah. real simple. What you leave out is as just as important as what you put in. Exactly. And and I think that uh, uh, the minimalist, having it minimalist, it, it, again, it's one of those things where the, the, the audience can can bring their, their, they can bring something to it. The audience can participate in yeah, it. Yeah, and I think too in, in this era of sort of hyper-realism in cinema yeah. where you can create anything you can think of yeah. and make it almost as real as possible right. uh, with the big enough budget. Yes. Uh, I think when you, you do that sort of min minimalism yeah. and you pull out some of that stuff yeah. and you leave it up to the person, yes. it becomes uh, more theaterish almost, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you can go to a theater production right. of, of, say, Phantom of the Opera, right. and uh, I mean, it's you're left to fill in the blanks. I always say with like Ed Wood, it's like if you're on an off Broadway play, two guys sitting in front of a shower curtain are on an airplane. Exactly, and you'll believe it because that's the reality presented to right. you, and you know you have to fill in those and just believe it and, and accept and, it and, as is. And, but in a movie, people are not as, right. as forgiving. But I think that again, when you when you go into it, when you go into a Christopher Mim film, and you you know that this is an intentional universe that's being right. created. You know, you decide to take that ride right. and 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 play. Right. We get to play with you and play in your universe. Exactly. And and be part of it. So, right. Um, and I'm, I'm and I'm always just trying to expand it and, and create sort of new definitions and new corners in that universe. And now uh, let's talk about sound for just a second. Sure. Sound is good. Uh, like, is there? I mean, you guys might just have radio background, right? Uh, radio honestly. Before I got into film, yeah. uh, I went to college for audio engineering. Okay. Uh, because uh, when I was a teenager and in my twenties, uh, I was very, uh, you know, I was interested in recording bands and stuff like right. that. Right. And I played in a bunch of bad rock, bad rock bands in the nineties uh, as a no drummer. Musical abilities. Uh, yeah. Very, so I was. I mean, that was what really interested me in in learning to record music was the bands I was in as a teenager. Yes. Uh, we would, you know, record demos with four-track, you know, cassette tape yeah, recorders, yeah. and I got really interested in the sort of the idea of, you know, some people, some musicians really love the live show, right? Yes. They like to be out there, they love the audience, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. For me, it was always about refining a song down to its yes, perfect form. Right, right. George Howard. Yeah, right, it would be like, there, what yeah. is it? What is it going to be? What is the definition of that song? Where's the beginning point of putting everything yeah, into it? And yeah. that, there it is. Uh, we're gonna sculpt it and uh, yeah, exactly. It's like a, it and be. then it's done, right? And that's it. And then you can expand on it sort of afterwards. You can re-record it, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I was always interested in the process of that. And so I got into that, but then realized as I started doing some of the the actual work in the field that I didn't quite enjoy doing it that much. Right, right. Uh, and honestly, some of it was just the you would be recording a band and no matter what you had to do, you had to pretend like they were great. Uh, and there was a part of me yeah, that had that trouble with laughing. that. It was just like, oh, that was a great take. That was amazing. Oh. <sighs> and so sometimes that part of it, I yeah. got a little lost. And, and, you know, maybe that's just me being selfish or something, yeah, yeah. but it was just like, I, I had trouble with that. And yeah. it kind of took some of the joy out of it. Yeah. Well, and you just uh, said, do your own thing. Yeah. And, and, and I started, uh, you know, doing some other stuff, um, uh, you know, just for, for money. But I, I, was, I was always interested in doing film. Yeah. Uh, so when I did start approaching my first uh, film, right. you know, when I was in college, uh, I, I had a great instructor. We had a, an audio for video, audio for film class uh, that was really, really great. Uh, and, and 
I'll never forget one of the first things the instructor said, and it stuck with me to this day, is that uh, sound plays a much larger role in cinema than anyone ever gives it credit for. Absolutely. I think uh, George Lucas even said that what it's more than 50% of the experience. Right. So. And, and, and people don't think about that because you think of film, uh, a TV, as a visual medium, yes. right? Uh, but here's the thing. You can watch a movie that looks like crap. Like, yeah. it just yeah. looks bad or is like, yeah. you know, you watch one of those the old 80s VHS yeah, yeah, yeah. shot movies. Sure. They're great for what they are as yeah. long as the sound is okay. Yeah. If the sound's great, and it looks terrible, you think, oh, it's an aesthetic choice. Yeah, they yeah. did that on purpose. This is yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you reverse that, it could be the greatest looking movie in the world, but if it sounds bad, bad yeah. uh, 10 minutes in, you're like, this is annoying. I have, to, I have to get out of here. Audio will betray an inferior production faster yes. than anything. So I've, uh, it will betray an amateur production. Right. It will play. Audio is the big giveaway. I, you know, I have a, I have a pile of independent movies, uh, taller than my head. Aaron <laughs> has seen it. That people give me and oh, put this on the show or whatever. And audio is, is usually audio is really the big giveaway. The right. other thing that almost people don't put anything into is the, um, the credits. Mm -hmm. They yeah. don't put anything into the grads. Like, okay, just start the movie and get into right. it. And it's like it's like there's no so there's no real it, you know, there's no no mood is set for right. it. And it's, and you know um, and in those those old fifties uh, movies especially you know a lot of times it's just like that opening credit sequence yeah and the sound and all of that well and then those really, old movies the ending credit sequence was always just like. Yeah. The end. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just there was nothing, right? Whereas now it's like eight minutes on your average Hollywood movie is just the credits, credits. at the end. Yeah, yeah. And I get you got to give Marvel Studios credit for that. And yeah. that usually the credits start people would leave. Now they're like, well, we gotta wait. We gotta sit through all the credits because there might be thirty seconds of something. And they burned us hard on that wasp. Did you see that? Yeah, yes. Oh my god! I was like, why didn't I just leave? Yeah. Why was, didn't I just that was leave? Pointless. Why did I stay for these credits? Oh no! So I think, I think uh, this, the Spider-Man one was probably one of the better ones with yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, the outtakes of Captain the, America the doing out. the yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, I I uh, I think that that again. It, it, what you leave out, uh, what you put in, the sound, and um, you know everyone sounds good and the acting is good. I mean the reactions are it's it's not it's not too um, you know you're not it's not so much of a put on that it doesn't right. it, where it it seems like it's a farce and it's well, like a, it doesn't seem like a, a sketch of it's, a movie. It's you know kind what of, I mean? it's kind of funny uh, in how I approach um, actors, right? Yeah. For one. I always tell new actors who are new to, to, to the verse, yeah. the memoverse, yeah. uh, is, you know, a lot of times people come in and they think, okay, I'm going to act as wooden as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, be bad, bad. right? Yeah. And I would say, don't do that. Because yeah. back then, they weren't trying to do that. Right. Sometimes they just were. But that was the authenticity of it. You got to, yeah. don't act bad. Don't wink to the camera. Yeah. If you're being chased by this monster, maybe a ridiculous monster, yeah. but it'll still kill you in this universe and you have to act like it. Right. So yeah. treat it. I always say, if you have Shakespeare, give me Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you don't, give me the best thing you have. Yeah, yeah. So what ends up happening, you know, we're here at Blob Fest, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's that, that great fire chief guy in, in the Blob who right. is deadpan about everything. Yeah, yeah. The diner's on fire. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just yeah, like it's very yeah. deadpan. Sometimes I find actors that that is literally as good as they got. Yeah. And I actually like some of those actors yeah. because it does add an authenticity. It does. You can tell they're trying to act. They're and, not and thinking even, it. Even with me, it's like if you need an over-actor, <laughs> I'm the guy that you You're call. the guy. You don't want everyone to be over-acting. Right. 
and, and, and obviously some people will see me in the movie and go, man, that guy's overplaying it. <laughs> but sometimes you need that. Right. Sometimes it, 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 especially in the B-movie kind of thing, right. that's just how it is. And I'm not trying to overact, that's just kind of usually how, how I go. But, but the other thing is, is that, that I always say is that if you're trying to make a bad movie on purpose and it's terrible, did you win or did you lose? Right. Did you succeed or did you fail? Right, you have to... I often, what I'll do is, is I tell people that I'm not necessarily trying to make awful movies. I actually want to make entertaining, yeah. good movies. Yeah. The thing is, is I don't have as much money as I need to make right. my vision, per yeah, se. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's like they're, I'm trying to make good, entertaining movies that you'll like. They just have a very specific coat of paint. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, they, they, they have this sort of retro feel to them. And, you know, the look, the black and white and all that stuff, the costumes, the the period piece of it. Uh, but I'm still trying to make good movies. Sure. I don't ever want to make just a boring movie. Yeah. I feel like that's when I feel like I've failed. If if my movie is just boring, right. then I've I've failed. Right. But well, then I, 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 ha- I haven't that. seen a boring one yet. Well that's good. That's good. Chris. And like I said, I, I enjoy them more and more. And then there was a point where I, I I, I I didn't I didn't see him for a, a, a couple of years, you know. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I know what Chris is doing. Yeah. And then like I watched, I don't know if it was like Giant Spider or whatever. It was. Oh my god, it was like a it was like an evolutionary. I feel like leap. the Giant Spider is probably the leap, honestly, yeah, yeah. where you go from. Oh yeah, I know what Chris is doing. Yeah. That's cool. And then it was like, whoa. But the funny thing about the Giant Spider in yeah. particular was that up till that point, yeah. often I would write a script based on things I knew I had access to. Yeah. For instance, you know, we made this movie House of Ghosts because we knew we had access to yeah. this house. Yeah. And so we built the story around that. Yeah. The Giant Spider was the first script I wrote just saying, okay, I'm just going to write a script and find stuff after the fact. Yeah. And so yeah. it ends up being a much more grandiose production yeah. uh, just because we pushed it. Yeah. Uh, in the writing of the script. It was yeah. like, okay, well, I don't know where I'm going to get all these classic cars. I don't no know way, which yeah, drive-in drive we're going to yeah, shoot yeah. at. We'll make it work. Yeah. Well, and so we really were on the seat, you know, the edge of our seats yeah. that entire time making that movie. Yeah. And I think it paid off. I really yeah. do. That, that, I would say that was a big, I mean, I felt that was a big turning point where, you know, I always appreciated you and I liked your stuff, but then there was, like I said, I felt like that was the big, that I, was the big moment where I was I, like, wow, Chris is getting good. And I think that uh, the popularity of that yeah. movie does sort of, uh, you know, play that out. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. to this day, that's still the one that we still show it all over the place. Yeah. Um, we still get requests where if I'm going somewhere new, I'll often play that one. Because that's, too, it's a little more accessible. I mean, as a, as a movie, uh, some of the other ones are more... There's always this weird thing I have to play with because I'm doing these retro-style yeah. movies. This, this balance I have to strike between... Yeah. You know, adhering to those classic films because the the way they made movies, the way they edited movies, the yes. way that they paced movies back then yes. was much more deliberate compared to now, where it's like let's throw stuff at your face every thirty seconds, right, right, uh, or, you know, every five seconds yes. to make sure you, you know, are adequately stimulated, right? right? And so it becomes this balance between. Uh, when I'm making these movies, how far one way or another way I want right, to go. Right, because you really are making a movie in this year. Right, so you have to so, appeal to people right. now, mm-hmm. but I don't want to completely forget that aesthetic. Yeah. So I think with The Giant Spider, when I wrote that in particular, it was like, okay, I'm going to pace this more as a modern yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, but still, you know, it was, it was, it was a good balance, yeah. I think. Um, I, I definitely think you, you know, you're, you're, you're finding that balance between, yeah. and, and really developing what is your style yeah so then just okay this is the template of a 50s right movie. right this is this is this is some sort of a hybrid between 
you what you feel what 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 happened then and 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 then a more modern I would uh, say that's that's probably true yeah, yeah. where uh, up until that point I would often I think approach things like okay so the first movie I wanted to make a lake monster movie yeah, right yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's tons of lake monsters right. well even creature in black lagoon stuff yeah, like that crater lake monster right right as yeah. I want to do something like that and the next one I want to do something specific yeah. and then I did cave women on Mars which yeah. was sort of my you know radar you know yeah, uh, radar, the, uh, Amazon women Amazon, on the moon. well no, no, cat women on cat the women moon. of the moon right yeah. stuff like stuff like that where yeah. it's the you know uh, female dominated society yeah, needs yeah, an yeah. earth man yeah, to yeah, show yeah, them about yeah. love you know well yeah exactly and they they're kind of becoming less and less genre parodies and more right. and more kind of uh, uh, a, a lot things that you like that you're more right into right and it's becoming more, more of a more original works yeah like I said with a very specific coat of paint because yeah. uh, my most recent demon with the atomic brain I can't really think of of something that is you know often you can say okay giant spider you have tarantula you right have earth versus yeah. spider sort of a you know, an equal. It, it reminded that, uh, me of a few things, like you know, not but not one specific. Right. There's thing. you can't just say okay, yeah. that's his spider movie. Now, something that I notice with uh, this new film, Demon with the Atomic Brain, is that it does seem to have a little bit more of a modern pacing. Yes, that was that was that was definitely on purpose. And something else that I noticed, and maybe it's like I'm getting old or something's <laughs> wrong with my eyes, but it doesn't seem like it's entirely black and. That is actually true. Is that true? Yeah, uh, I, 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 I messed up a little bit yeah. in, the, in the making of it. Yes. It was it was a happy accident yeah. uh, when I was editing a part of it. Uh, I put the I didn't put the black and white all the way to a hundred percent. Yes. Uh, and as I was watching this this scene that I edited together to you know piece of you know pull it apart and then yeah. put it back together, uh, I noticed something. It seemed too green. Uh-huh. And I was like, why does this look green? And I went back and realized I had sort of messed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really liked how it looked. Yeah. I was like, it looks almost like an old, like, those old TV movies, you know, like Mars Needs Women, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. That, Or even, even Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, where the color has been so washed out yeah, yeah. over time of, like, bootleg after bootleg right, after right. bootleg, where it's like, this was color at one point, Once, but, it's, yeah. but it's not really anymore. Yeah. I realized that's what it looked like to yeah. me, and I was like, I'm just going to see how that carries through the whole yeah, movie. Yeah. And so I did that through the whole movie, and I realized this is a cool little weird It is. Like, like, there's, like a, gimmick there's a stop almost. motion monster yeah. in there that has a little reddish in it. Yeah. And then the red like, and the, the pink really came through. Yeah. The, the, your lead actress has this beautiful pink scarf, and it's just... Just slightly pink, yeah, uh, and it's nice because it it, it, it it gives it something that is unique. It's not right. like we're not just pretending to be an old movie. We're kind of in new territory, right? And I just I, I uh, once I, I ran it through once I finished the movie and I did it with that that lower percentage of yeah. not, like the not full black and white, yeah. and I realized this looks really cool. This yeah. looks unique. This looks weird. And people, I people ask almost like. I don't know if it was me, but yeah. was it in black and white? Yeah. I couldn't tell. Oh, look, you messed up, Chris. You didn't turn <laughs> yeah. the thing. Well, and I think some people are honestly worried sometimes, like, was that there or am I just hallucinating a little bit? Uh, and, 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 and I get that. It's like, no, 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 I did that on purpose. Well, I very much enjoyed Demon with the Atomic Ray. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was uh, a fine piece of motion picture. I encourage everyone, all you insomniacs out there, to seek out the Demon with the Atomic Brain and all of Christopher Mims' films, especially the one that has Mr. Lobo in it. We don't know what that's going to be yet. But it's going to be there. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. All right. Pretty cool, right? I want to thank Mr. Lobo for doing that interview and for providing me with the audio to share with you. Before I go, a few things. 
Come to the premiere of Guns of the Apocalypse, September 26th at the Heights Theater in Columbia Heights, Minnesota. Tickets are now on sale at euphoria.com or in the August edition of the Memiverse Monthly Online Newsletter. Or you can contribute at gunsoftheapocalypse.com and pre-order tickets at the same time. Do it. Be there. Enjoy it. It's awesome, and you will like it, and you will have a great time, I promise you. Plus, if you're interested, I will have some information about the pre-premiere party we're going to be throwing this year that you can attend if you're interested. But I won't be talking about that much until next month. So I guess... I'll talk to you next month, but before I go, of course, don't forget, as I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. And now, Dr. Bob wants to tell us a joke. (laughs) It is I, Dr. Bob Tesla, with your Mimiverse Joke of the Month. A man comes up to his friend, and he's looking very glum, and his friend says... What's wrong? Why do you look so sad? And the man says, well, I just lost my job for taking an extra shift. And the, his friend is like, what? What's wrong with that? Why, why would they fire you for that? And the man says, well, I work at the keyboard factory. Come out to the Dwight Fry Underground Cinema on August 4th when we will be showing a mystery diesel punk movie. Ooh, no one knows what it is, but it's going to be diesel punk. I don't I hope people don't show up in costume. That's that's just too much hipsterish right there. No, no, please please no diesel punk costumes. And don't forget to also tune in every Friday at 10:30 in virtual reality. That's Alt Space VR when we'll be bringing you part of a movie. We're currently showing Michael Butts this book is cursed. And check us out online at www.midnightmonstermovies.com. Science! Science!